and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? This is it! Five, six, seven, eight. You've got talent. Let's see what we can do with it. You're going to make me believe that you belong on that stage. Dancing on that show is my dream. Welcome, folks, to the season three premiere of the movie musical Shakedown. I cannot believe we have made it this far in this podcast. I am so excited for what's in store for this season. I've got a great slate of movie musicals. I've got a great slate of guest hosts. It's going to be great. I, I just, I honestly, I'm, I'm thrilled and I cannot wait to get started. So why wait? Why wait any longer? Let's get right into it. This week, we are talking about one of the... I guess you could call it iconic, but also controversial and polarizing movie musicals, and I guess you could say musicals of all time. We're talking about 1973's Jesus Christ Superstar, uh, directed by the legendary Norman Jewison, who also did Fiddler on the Roof. Uh, This obviously has had a really interesting response since opening, um, you know, basically almost 50 years ago. So... We're going to get into it. I'm going to be joined this week by my wife, Nicole, who has a ton of thoughts and notes on this film. Surprisingly, I had never seen this movie start to finish. I thought I had, but that was not the case. Um, but uh, she's seen it close to a dozen times. So, you know, she even was noticing you know new things about the film. So I was really, really excited to get her take. It's a great, great discussion. Um, I apologize for some of the noise in the background. I have to mention that. Right off the bat, we just got a new puppy. Uh, Her name is Abby. She's absolutely adorable, but she's also very clingy. So recording podcasts uh, with a dog, you know, constantly rubbing up against your leg and walking all over the place uh, was a bit more challenging than uh, originally we had thought. So um, I do apologize for some little thumps and clicks uh, here and there in the background, but hopefully for those dog owners or pet owners uh, out there, you'd understand. But um, let's get right into it. As always, here's the trailer. to believe the things they say of you you really do believe this talk of god is true if he said he loved me i'd be lost i'd be frightened i couldn't cope just couldn't cope I'd turn my head, I'd back away, I wouldn't want to know, it scares me so. My temple should be a house of prayer, but you have made And we're back, and I am now joined by my beautiful wife, Nicole Peterson. So glad to have you here. Hi. <laughs> it's been a while <laughs> since has. we've done this. I'm so glad to be doing this with you again. Mm-hmm. Um, lots happened over the past year, but I'm really glad to be diving back in and watching these movie musicals. It's a good couples activity, I think, for us to watch these movies and rehash them and deep dive and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're talking about... Jesus Christ Superstar this week. It is uh, Easter season, I guess. Yes. And uh, we are recording this literally on Palm Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, neither of us are, are very religious practicing people. But, you know, it's it's that time of year. And uh, we celebrate the major holidays. Yeah. And so, you know, we've never done Jesus Christ Superstar on this podcast I before. Know. So what better time? 
Um, it's quite it's quite a movie. It is. It's quite the movie. I really enjoy it um, a whole lot, and I I am not a Jesusy person, but boy do I love seventies extravaganza musicals. It's <laughs> <So>. True, <laughs> that's true. Uh, it is definitely the decade for. It's been it, it's a, the seventies is an interesting decade for movie musicals, and we'll get mm-hmm. into it a little bit later. But it's like every year there seemed to be another movie musical that is like considered like a pillar, yes, of movie musicals. But we'll get into all of that. So um, this is a very interesting movie, uh, directed by Norman Jewison, who who famously directed Fiddler on the Roof. So this was his his follow up mm-hmm. to Fiddler, but. Um, on this podcast, we're going to break everything down. We're going to talk about the movie. We're going to give out some awards. We're going to do some of the categories you've done before. But we're also going to change things up a little bit um, as well. And uh, one thing, that new thing we're going to do is go deeper into the creation and making of these, these movies and talk about some interesting factoids from the development. So it starts with the actual uh, creation of this musical itself. Mm-hmm. And if one was to ask Andrew Lloyd Webber, you know, what his favorite works were, um, he might not put this at the top of his list. Now, the story goes is that Tim Rice, who wrote the lyrics for this, had famously been thinking about doing, you know, the story of Christ from Judas's perspective since like the late 60s. And when he finally approached Andrew Lloyd Webber about it, Webber said that this was the stupidest idea he had ever heard of. But Rice persisted, and they finally wrote the piece and finished it in 1970. Uh, they started it by doing a production in the UK, which was a gigantic bomb, by the way. Well, I thought, it wasn't it a concept album first? So the concept album came, um, I believe, later. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. So, um, yeah, so it was it was a gigantic bomb in the UK, quickly closed then they turned it into a concept album okay which was a smash mm-hmm. and then it was turned into a broadway show um and uh did again the broadway show very polarizing it yeah. you know some people called it vulgar um some people loved it some people hated it andrew a weber despised the broadway show uh he thought it was a misrepresentation of his work um, he called opening night of the Broadway production the worst day of his life. <laughs> but um, it, uh, and he also, he, interesting enough, Lloyd Webber hates the movie, this movie as well. And, mm. um, but he did love the live concert version a couple years ago. With John with, Legend? With John Legend and Sarah Burrells. <laughs> like, he said that finally, uh, quote, that, that concert finally captured the, uh, his vision uh, and respectful and robust spirit that he wanted originally when he originally thought of it. But piece. that was probably the most like watered down version of it. Though. Right, right. So it's it, I find it interesting that he hates this 1973 movie, but he loves the 2018 live concert version, wow. which I did by the way. I loved it too. But yeah, that, no, for, I enjoyed it. Right. But it. I think it's the least polarizing of all the versions right, that have come out. Right. So. <laughs> so interestingly enough, um, so this movie comes out in 1973. It comes out in August. Mm-hmm. The previous March, Godspell the movie comes out. Yep. So this is like... This is a big year for Jesus in It's movies. a big year. It's a big year for Jesus. Um, interestingly enough, in May of 1971, Godspell opens off Broadway and Jesus Christ Superstar opens up that following October mm-hmm. in 1971. So these these two pieces are very much chronologically connected. No, and, they run parallel to each other the whole time. And I think it's not necessarily a bad thing because everyone gets a little something. Right. <laughs> depending upon what flavor you like. <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out what was it about the early 70s where there was this like rush to get, you know, Jesus-based movie musicals like out. Immediately. Well, I think in the late 60s, people were doing a lot more refocusing on their religion. Like, I mean, wasn't it, is it 68 that, that time had the whole, you know, is God dead, you know, timeline and all of that? So I think it's 
Plus, I mean, Vietnam's going on. Exactly. Right no, now, I think yeah. a lot of people mm-hmm. are probably reevaluating their faith at that point. So it makes sense that people would look into it. And also, I mean, it's, I, we can talk about it later, but the 70s, like cult culture, you know, a lot of people are reevaluating faith on a wide basis, not just in Christianity. So, right. right. Yeah, it's interesting. It's just, I just think it's, it's, you know, these two movies are so connected. And, you know, when we talk about, you know, musical theater history, these really are the two ones about the story of Christ. And they are similar mm-hmm. and very different. Yeah. If that makes sense. And we'll talk about their similarities and differences, you know, as we go forward. But um, interesting, a couple of interesting notes about the filming and, and development of this movie. So, um, interestingly enough, um, Barry Denon, who played Pontius Pilate in the original cast, suggested, uh, who was in Fiddler on the Roof, suggested to Norman Jewison that he should direct Jesus Christ Superstar. And after hearing the album, Jewison agreed. The, f- the film was shot in Israel, uh, primarily the parts of the ruins of, I'm probably going to butcher the actual names, but I do, I do apologize. <laughs> um, but the ruins of Avdat. Beit Guvrin National Park and Beit Shean and other Middle Eastern locations uh, in the night in the year 1972. Um, so they're filming this. A uh, couple casting what ifs as they're they're creating this um, this movie. Uh, the first casting what if uh, in terms of people that were considered for the role. I couldn't find a lot of them, but here are a couple. Um, John Travolta as Jesus was considered. And this, by the way, he was 17 at the time. So this is, this movie's four years before Saturday Night Fever. So this is like the beginning of Welcome Back, Cotter. This is the beginning of all of that. Um, What do you think? Do you think John Travolta would have been better as Jesus than Tim Neely? No. That's what I thought. (laughs) Um, Two other people that were considered uh, for Jesus at the time. David Cassidy. Oh, I would have loved Fresh off the boat from um, the Partridge family. I would have loved that. I'm a huge David Cassidy fan. Yeah, there you go. And this is like right, like cover of Rolling Stone time for him too. I wonder if it would have been like too like the one thing I think that works for Jesus Christ Superstar is you really don't know a lot of these actors by name. No, that's true. So that's would, true. It, it would it, you know it, I can only imagine the poster being like David Cassidy, right? <laughs> Jesus Christ Superstar. Ironically, J- David Cassidy would go on to play the role in like stage version. Yeah. Those. But uh, the final one, and this was surprising, Mickey Dolenz of the Monkees really was heavily considered for Jesus. I mean, his voice could do it, but I don't think. Yeah. Interesting. 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 So. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't think he would have been great Well, either. and same with Travolta. He could probably do it vocally, but I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I don't think it would be a good fit. Yeah, I don't think so either. Anyway, um, so the movie comes out in, like I said, in August of 1973. Um, grossed $24.5 million in the box office, which is considered at the time a smash. Mm-hmm. It's the highest grossing movie musical of the year. Um, However, it does come out with some controversy. And uh, it is considered a controversial movie. Um, For for instance, um, let me see here. I have this all written down. Um, The Broadway show, uh, it was condemned by some religious groups. Um, Tim Rice was quoted as saying, it happens that we don't see Christ as God, but simply as the right man for the right time at the right place. And some Christians considered such comments to be blasphemous. Uh, the character of Judas seems to be too sympathetic in the movie, and some of his criticisms of Jesus are considered offensive. Now, this is back. This is not, this is not what people feel about the movie now. This is what, right. when it first came out. Uh, the, also, the the musical's lack of allusion to the resurrection of Jesus has resulted in similar criticism of another movie musical, Godspell. So they both kind of had that same... Um, but he does come back at the end. Exactly. <laughs> but he, he doesn't... No, he doesn't, actually. In Gospel, he does, in the movie musical, he doesn't. Because they, well, they carry the cross off. They go around the corner 
No, not in Godspell. I meant in this movie because you see. Well, you see a shepherd. You don't know if right. it's Jesus, and he's well, not. And the, the cross is empty at the end. So it's weird. It's ambiguous. Um, at the same time, some Jewish people claim that it bolstered anti-Semitic belief that Jews were responsible for Jesus's death. That's a huge. Mm-hmm. It in every movie that seems to have yes. come out since that's become a huge thing. Uh, interesting enough, the musical was banned in South Africa for being irreligious. Don't know what that word means, but irreligious. Not religious. Oh, not religious? Yes. Okay, there you go. Um, and a 1972 production of the play was banned in Hungary uh, for the distribution of religious propaganda. So, interestingly enough, th- so this came out with a lot of mercy, but what's interesting is that Norman Jewison showed the movie to the Pope, and the Pope loved it. So Pope John Paul VI loved the movie, um, interesting enough. And eight years before this movie came out, there's another movie that came out called The Greatest Story Ever Told, which is considered like a epic, like, mm-hmm. retelling of the story of Christ. No controversy with that movie whatsoever, because they played it straight. Right. So, anyway. Um, so that's, that's just some backstory about uh, the movie itself. So... Um, Let's get into the movie itself. Yes. Let's start at the beginning. Yes. The synthesizer in the beginning sounds like a theremin, and it's really unsettling. So. Okay. What what makes it so unsettling? Well, it's, well, one, it's really discordant, right? And you see lots of happy images of young people on a bus being friends with this really eerie sound behind it. So it's just, uh, it's not my cup of tea. Gotcha. So. Gotcha. Well, let me ask you this. So at the beginning, you see all these people getting off the bus mm-hmm. and they're going to reenact the story of Christ. Yeah. You see a similar scene in Godspell where mm-hmm. it's these people. What is it about this, in, this reenactment angle where we have to see these people I thought it was the idea of the passion play. Like, originally, this story was told by the people, Mm -hmm. you know, and celebrated. Like, the passion plays were a huge thing, even far back to, like, medieval times. So I thought it was just a reclamation of what the passion play really is. It's not this huge box office thing. It's people telling a story that means a lot to them. That's true. That's true. And, of course, the reenactment gets out of control later in the, in the film with tanks showing up and right. jet planes flying overhead. But um, it's just, it's an interesting angle and to I see. Also, I mean, I thought it kind of spoke to the idea that the hippie movement and all of that was about reclaiming these big ideas for young people and reclaiming these big questions for the youth and the community and all of that. So... I I don't see anything... I That all made sense to me, I guess. Um, if you hear rumbling in the background, our dog is recording with us yes. right now. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it, it's interesting. I mean, maybe that's where the controversy comes, where it's like you're watching kind of hippies do mm-hmm. the reenactment rather than The Greatest Story Ever Told, which is a very conservative, by-the-book... Right reenactment which you know gets no controversy whatsoever because they're not really taking a statement well and that's i think that's kind of where that battle line is is you know in the 60s older people didn't want to believe that all of these ideas were for the youth and all of that that it was for them so everyone has this claim over what this religious story who it belongs to and who it's really for right Right, exactly, exactly. For me, I, I don't know. Like, rock operas, it, it's very hit or miss for me. But this was, like, one of the original rock operas. Right. So you got to give it a little bit of room. I will, I will. But, like, I don't know. Like, the, the score is all over the place with these things. Mm-hmm. And this is the decade where you start to see a lot of them. So you get this, you've got The Who's Tommy, you've got Pink Floyd's The Wall. Um, so some of them are fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, this is, it's just like one of those things where it's like, yeah, you get this rock opera score that just makes, you know, changes really quickly and Mm -hmm. it's just, it's not that conventional musical theater sound. And, um, for some people that can be quite jarring Mm -hmm. and 
So yeah, I mean, for me, the jury's still out of whether or not I actually enjoy listening to these things, but um, there are moments in this show that are just fantastic. From the well, that's what I wanted to ask you. So, and I don't know if you want to wait to talk about this, but you mentioned that one of the songs is like one of your favorite songs ever. Right. But I was listening to it thinking it's discordant. It doesn't flow well together. The meaning is important, but is the meaning why you like it? Or is the discord and changes and all of that mm-hmm. why you like it? Right. Yeah, maybe. Well, no, you didn't answer my question. Oh. You weren't paying attention. <laughs> I mean, I think it's a combination of all of those things. I don't know. It's, it's, it's weird. But, um, well, let's get it. What else do you have? Uh, so I took notes, uh, in order of the Mm -hmm. show as we were watching it. Um, I really like how Judas separates himself right away. It's the first thing he does is he leaves the group and he goes to an observer position immediately. Um, Carl Anderson, who plays Judas, Mm -hmm. is ridiculous in this movie, by the way. He's awesome. Yeah. Um, I also thought it was really cool that the shots matched the music. So that a lot of their edits and cuts matched exactly what was happening with the score. And some points I think it worked really well. Some points it was too jarring and hard to watch, but it's fine. It's a beautifully shot film. It is. It really is. I also appreciate the length of the film. Yes. Um, it's an hour and 47 minutes. Which is perfect. Very much unlike Fiddler, which is like three hours, I yeah. think. Um. So, yeah. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. So, what else you have? Um, purple tank tops. <laughs> yeah, the guard uniforms in this movie are a little weird. They are. Well, and on, I went and I looked up, like, a bunch of army uniforms from the early 70s, thinking, like, what could this look like? And the only thing I can think of is American soldiers in Vietnam hanging out in their tank tops and, like, it being a a less straightforward uniform look. That's the only thing I could come up with because I looked at like Israeli army uniforms, all of that when we were watching it and nothing looks like that. Right. Right. <laughs> the only thing, maybe purple because that's what pilots wearing. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, no, it's, it's an interesting choice because you've got some costumes that look somewhat period. Then you've got others that obviously are far from it. I really enjoyed the ones that walked the line more. Like, I thought Jesus was just too on the nose. But I loved Judas and Mary because they they could be sort of period. Right. But they also were 70s. They, like, blurred the line. And even the apostles, I thought what they were wearing was great. Mm-hmm. Because it really walked the line between this could fit, you know, a millennia ago and this could fit now. So yeah. yeah, interesting, interesting. Either way, purple tank tops were not intimidating. Good. Yeah, no, no, they're not. No, they're not. Uh, Jesus can only play and sing Jesus. Has he done anything else? No. I just, after watching him and listening, I just could not see him in any other musical. So, uh, of that time... I mean, maybe Roger from Rent... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's a very, yeah, only doing like rock type yeah. of scores. Um, but yeah, Ted Neely, he's been playing that role for 50 years. Like he mm-hmm. was doing it up until like 2018. Um, so there you go. But yeah, no, he's a, he's an interesting actor. Um, you know, this is his defining role of his career and the one that he's kind of kept doing. Um, I would also argue he's not the best to ever play the role either but no um, but i think i mean again for it being 1973 his voice fits right if this had debuted in any other era i don't think it would have worked at all right right interesting interesting what else you got um the dance style is just like the style of my college professor lejeune i feel like i can feel her in this it's very <laughs> Very, uh, just 1970s college professor. Yeah. I love it. Um, I thought the freeze frame 
uh, when in Hosanna, when they say, Jesus, will you die for me? They freeze frame on his face for a second. And I just don't, I thought for what could have been an awesome moment, it wasn't done really well. Mm. Like that could have been really poignant had it just been for like a second shorter. I don't know. Right. Like it, yeah. Or make it something bigger. Like, you know, towards the end of, um, Gethsemane, when he's you, you start seeing all those paintings and pictures yeah. of Christ on the crucifix, mm-hmm. like do something like that. Yes, you know, not just a freeze frame for a split second. Yeah, yeah, I agree, I agree. Um, yeah, I love the choreography. I love the choreography so the, for that. Choreographer Robert Iscove or Iscove, excuse me. Um, interesting career, interesting story. Working on this film actually had a terrible accident while filming the final number um, of Jesus Christ Superstar in the amphitheater. He apparently tripped and fell backwards and fell down, I, I probably down the steps of that amphitheater and broke several bones. Okay. So not good. But he did go on to have a very interesting career. He's also the director of um, the 90s film classic She's All That. Love that movie. And then the, I guess you could say iconic bomb that is from Justin to Kelly, which we will probably have to do on this podcast at some point. <laughs> well, just so you know, uh, high school, Nicole did go to an empty theater to see that with just one other person. And we danced in the aisles. So, you know, it was still a fun movie to watch. Well, there you go. There you go. So thank you, Robert Eiscoe. Well, there you go. Uh, but yeah, jazz runs, stag leaps, a ball change with a layout, all good stuff. I enjoy it. Nice. Um, all right. So we've talked about this a little bit before. I am not a very religious person. Nope. And I was brought up with the basics. But outside of the basics, I don't know a whole lot. If you didn't know the general story of the Bible and Jesus, would this movie make any sense to you? I think it would because I was thinking, like, the Jerusalem market destruction, like, all of that, like, all of a sudden you're in, like, the the way the scenes are linked together, I feel like if you don't know what's going on and didn't already have the basic line of the story, it right. would... I think this movie is a little trip, more trippy than a Godspell, perhaps. So I think if you're someone who doesn't know what Christianity is has never heard of the story of Christ, mm-hmm. you probably would, it probably would make more sense by watching Godspell than Jesus Christ Superstar. Because I think Jesus Christ Superstar, there are moments where they dig really, they go deep. Like there's some deep cuts mm-hmm. in the Bible, in the biblical story here. Uh, while Godspell concentrates more on the lessons, mm-hmm. um, so to speak. So... Because well, I was even just thinking of like our son today. We were watching Legend... And I was like, oh, and it's that guy that looks like the devil. And he goes, who's the devil? And I was like, obviously, we're doing a good job teaching lessons. <laughs> right. But if you don't know those basic things, I feel like this would be pretty hard to follow. I don't know. I agree. Yeah, no, I think if, if you didn't have any concept of what Christianity is, um, yeah, this might be a confusing movie for you, so to speak. So, um, So... In the scene where Jesus is healing, why the choice of, like, zombies? Uh, Is that... What was the director trying to say? Is it the same in the stage production? Is it the same in all the other... Like... I don't know. Couldn't tell you. I thought that was... Again, a lot of the choices in this movie make me question who Jesus is. Mm Mm-hmm. And... His, is this his perception of what's happening? Is this Judas's perception of the people around him? Because we don't see Judas in that moment. We just see Jesus. Right. <sighs> it's interesting. I mean, this is a weird time of year when it comes to religious imagery on film mm-hmm. because you get a lot of different interpretations in this movie. And then months later, The Exorcist comes out. I know. I know. And so... Like, 73, 72, like, right around this time, it's just such a weird 
year for interpretation of Christianity on mm-hmm. film and religious icons and things like that. So yeah, I think you see a lot. You think you see a lot of these directors, like the William Friedkins, like the mm-hmm. Norman Jewisons, taking chances with religion in a, in a way. Well, and that's a, this viewing, and I don't know why if it's the time of year that we're seeing this if it's after the year that we've all had but I feel like this viewing left me with more questions than any of the other previous viewings and any of the other previous versions of Hmm. this that we've seen Mm -hmm. and I've seen this movie a dozen times you've seen this the the 1973 a dozen times yeah I I told you I love the dancing and I love (laughs) the 70s extravaganza that's true but for some reason, this time, I have a whole lot more. And maybe it's because we watched it with the subtitles. This is the first time I ever watched it with the subtitles mm, on. Okay. So I feel like I caught a lot of detail in the plot through the lyrics that I haven't paid attention to before. Hmm. But Good to know. Good to know. Yeah. Um, has Jesus ever been played by a person of color? Yes. Off the top of my head, well, John Legend in the... Oh, well, John Legend, in yes. In there, but um, in terms of the stage productions, yes, although I can't remember, I've, I've seen pictures, okay, but I can't remember the name of the actors. I will say, like, 90% of the time, Judas is played by a black man or a person of color. Right. Um, and there's a lot of other characters throughout that are played by people of color. Mm-hmm. Um I will say the overwhelming majority of the time, Jesus is played by a white guy. You know, you get Tim Neely, you've got you know Tim Minchin, you've got you know all these other people that have played it in the past. Um, so, I think there's something there. Well, and that's if we get to the aging, what has aged well and what hasn't. I have some things to say. Right. Right. <laughs> so, all right. What else you got? Um. So. After Judas is chased by tanks, the horn section, it just sounds so campy. You're going into such a serious song and, like, such an emotional song for him. And all of a sudden, you've got, like, these James Bond, like, horns after the tanks. It's a choice, I guess. It's a terrible choice. Like, you're going into one of the most emotional moments of the film. One thing for me and with all these movies, is continuity. And I, I, when I see what I think are errors in continuity, it drives me nuts. So, like, when you see these people pull up in a bus, they're pulling props off the top of the bus, um, and they're just going to reenact the story of Christ, it should be that type of way consistently throughout the entire film. I shouldn't have to see tanks and planes flying overhead. Just like in Godspell, when at the end during the crucifixion you've got these sirens cars Mm -hmm. pulling up and things like that i don't want to see that because it messes with the continuity well and the only other thing i thought is was it known that this was filmed where it was filmed what do you mean did american audiences know where this movie was filmed i don't know because of all of the political struggle going on there in the 70s right Right. I mean, I think I think the inclusion of the tank and plane definitely had something probably to do with Vietnam at the time. But um, yeah, it's it was an interesting choice. But yeah, I just those things like that drive me nuts. So, um, so this movie is definitive proof that pre-recording your vocals can still have so much emotion. Like I, I watched this and all I could think of was why did they ruin Les Mis? <laughs> right. And I know that's not what I should be thinking when I'm watching this movie, but that's all I can think. Because the amount of passion and excitement and just power that they get out of the vocal performances that they're still able to connect to emotionally in their acting it's really phenomenal. So there's no argument that that can't happen. Right. I think that's laziness. Well, there's, there's, I think the, the benefit from pre-recording it is that there's very little times where you're saying, you went with that take, really? Like right. Things like that. So um, as opposed to Les Mis, where they're singing live in the take, which was a terrible 
Well, and that's, I know, like, their argument was that so that it could be more emotionally connected and sound more authentic and all of that. But these are authentic performances. Right. Like, they really are impassioned and powerful. Like, so I, it just made me angry. I started getting angry at Les Mis again. Mm. And it's been years. I'm yeah. still angry at Les Mis. No, indeed. Indeed. Me too. Um, this so connects with 70s, like, cult culture. Like, I mm-hmm. just. Yeah, that's all I could think about. Well, it's like if 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 someone watched this movie and had no idea what the Bible was, no idea what right. Christianity was, it does make the case for that whole cultish. Like it reminds atmosphere. me of Jonestown. Like yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of that imagery there. So, and again, I think that's why when when some of these movies come out, the church gets so angry right. with the way it's depicted. Mm-hmm. Our dog is having a nibble. It's okay. <laughs> um, so you mentioned before the crucifixion pictures. They were a little too much for me. I, they were really powerful. I think they were used well. Mm-hmm. But they was a little, a little much. Yeah, it just, it, it, just it, it, was a, it was a choice. Um not not one I necessarily understand, but uh, yeah. Again, I just think it was one of those like you know, it's the nineteen seventies. We're going to do some funky things, right? In filming, and here you go. So, um, at the end, what's the difference between the purple guards and the black guards? And the black guards have pitchforks. Probably just ranking within the. So, because I was thinking, purple guards equals. Pilot, Blackguards equals Caiaphas. Sure. But I don't know. Go with that. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just uh, thinking of like the color theory of the costumes and that kind of stuff. But. I'm glad, Honestly, I'm glad you're thinking about this. I have the slightest. So I'm going to say yes to all of what you just said. Yeah. And I think like they were very straightforward with their color theory. Like Mary and um, Judas start in red. Mm-hmm. They both end up in white. Mm-hmm. At the end, um, Caiaphas and his buddies are all wearing black the whole time. I mean, purple equals royalty. Yeah. And we see the leaders wearing purple. Like, that all all makes sense. Totally. Totally. What else you got? Um, so, this is the first time, and again, I think it's because we had the subtitles on, but the creepy choir voices that were Mm -hmm. quiet in the background it really I I didn't like it because it irks me like it not irks me in a annoying way it gives me the creeps a little um but especially when Judas uh kills himself the so long Judas ooh yeah like I had never heard that before Mm -hmm. when we hadn't listened to it with the subtitles on that really stood out to me it's very interesting. Um, I don't know how I felt about, like, the blood on Pilate's hands. Like, that was a little on the nose. Mm-hmm. And then he, like, when he says, I wash my hands of you, who literally washes his hands of him. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Maybe for it, maybe it was for, you know, that first-time listening audience who's not going to understand the lyrics right off. Right. But, yeah, I just, I mean, when you look at Norman Jewison's other works that he's done, um, yeah, it's like he, he tries, there's moments where it's like, he, he like you said, on the nose, mm-hmm. like very much like, this is what you should look at. This is a symbolic mm-hmm. moment, um, things like that. So I think it works sometimes. Other times yeah. I think he fails in that regard. But yeah, I, I can see your point. Um, I love... The dancing, Jesus Christ Superstar, love the energy. I hate the flesh-toned bikinis that some of the dancers are wearing mm-hmm. because it's so distracting. You're like, are, are there naked dancers? <laughs> like, it's so distracting. And there's a terrible costume choice. Um, but otherwise, I love everything about that scene. Um I don't love the strings, though, after the crucifixion. Like, it's such, again, another transition moment. 
So they go from like this really discordant, strong, eerie music. Oh, okay. And then all of a sudden, it's these beautiful strings from Mary's song again. Right. Well, because they're, they're leaving, are... they're getting back on the bus. So the the crucifixion happens, mm-hmm. and then like again, this is a continuity thing that drives me freaking crazy. So you get this this whole thing with the crucifixion, then they all walk away. You transition to music, and then you see them back in their normal clothes. The actors, quote unquote. Mm-hmm because the reenactment is over, Mm -hmm. they all get back on the bus and they're looking at the cross because they've left the guy who plays Jesus Mm -hmm. behind. Right. And then the last shot is that, you know, he's gone. You Mm -hmm. know, he's vanished off the cross and blah, blah, blah. So very interpretive at that point. Right. But again, these things drive me nuts about the continuity of these reenactment situations. Well, I just wish there had been one more step in between with the music to either let a little denouement from the really intense stuff before the strings or had done something a little bit more organic, mm-hmm. right? I you mean, know, I like, think this is a 70s, 80s, this is like a 70s editing thing because you see this a lot in 1970s movies like Godfather, yeah. French Connection, where it's like, it's these quick edits mm-hmm. that happen at the blink of an eye and mm-hmm. you get these, you know, different tone tonal changes in a film. So I think this well, is an like, example And of that. that's just that visually it didn't bother me, but the auditory change was way too much for me. Right, right. <laughs> I, I hear you. Um, I mean, those are that's literally my seven pages of notes aside from our little categories. I don't know if you had anything about plot you wanted to no, say. No, I mean, or... the, the, I'm so, this is, I think, why I like doing these podcasts with you because I can count on you to take notes throughout. <laughs> And I can just kind of react to them. <laughs> so I think this is what we're going to do going forward. I'm going, okay. to, call it, I'm going to call this section Nicole's Notes. Um, well, let's get into it. Let's get into some of the categories. So what's aged well about um, this movie? So this, my what's aged well is, and what's aged the worst is the same thing. Oh, okay. What is it? The representation. Mm, mm-hmm. So what's aged well is that there are people of so many different colors and from so many different, like even when they're singing, some people have accents, some people are American, some people are British, some people are obviously, um, you said Israel is where it was filmed, mm-hmm. like they all sound and look different, that's awesome. Um, I The two things that I thought aged badly is I didn't see anyone who wasn't terribly wafy thin. Uh-huh. With the exception of the joke, which is Herod. Mm-hmm. So where are people who are different shapes? I guess that was missing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the 70s, too, where you get a weird mix of, you know, and this is, the, this is like the height of Fosse time on Broadway. Well, it's also which, the height of dancers you know, taking speed to keep working and, you know, things like that. So I understand that, Mm -hmm. but that was the one thing that surprised me a little bit is that this movie was so giving with its casting. Why did it stop there? Right, right. Um, And also what aged badly, I think it... All right, so in the moment, Judas being a black man not necessarily a bad thing because it's a leading role. He's dynamic and fabulous in it, but Judas is the bad guy. Mm -hmm. So to have him be the cornerstone of bad guys, the ultimate bad guy, even though he's sympathetic and has a lot more audience uh, empathy behind him. I still don't know if you want to have a black guy being the star Judas. Like, that's not a great message to keep. An Asian woman being the prostitute, not the best message to send. And the white guy being the savior. <laughs> mm. Well, I think this is, again, when you think about, like, 1970s casting trends, you saw a lot of this in other movie musicals. You saw a lot of it in other m- musicals. Yeah, well, and again, like, when you think of, okay, three the three lead roles, you have three different races one of them is a woman like i think in right. theory it's a great way to balance it out but not when you look at the actual way they were cast well i mean i compare it to a musical that came out 
exactly the same time. You think about Pippin, mm-hmm. and you know Pippin is you've got the lead player, which is traditionally like if you're going to cast a black person in a principal role in Pippin, mm-hmm. nine times out of ten, it's going to be the leading player, right? Who then becomes a villain later right. on in the show. Pippin is always played by a young white male. I've never seen that role not played by a young white male. Right. Fristrata, typically played by a woman of color. Mm-hmm. The villain. Right. Um, Catherine, always played by a white woman. Right. So, yeah, you see a lot of these things, these trends in in musicals, in the, that musical industry where it's like, look, we're giving people of color a lead role, but they're also playing the antagonist. Right. Or they're playing supporting players that with negative connotations. Right. So I think there's something there. And as we go forward in this podcast and we start looking at more 1970s musicals, mm-hmm. I wanna, I'm, I'm actually going to pay attention to that because I think that's, a, that's an interesting casting trend that we're seeing, which has a ripple effect into the way things happen in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Right. And I wonder, too... We're going to talk about your favorite person, Ben Vereen. So mm. he was, he played Judas. Original cast, original Broadway he cast. He was the leading player. Yep. He also played uh, a dual positive negative role in all that jazz. Yep. If you look at his play. So I'm also wondering, part of it, was it his... Are we typecasting for Ben Vereen in some of these roles too because he originated them? Probably. I mean, his voice very much suited this show. So I can see why they would cast him as Judas in the original Broadway production, which he shared with Carl Anderson, by the way. Right. They they would flip-flop between the two of them. Um, So yeah, I can see it. I mean, even even like his little part in Sweet Charity. Right. It's it's very much, that's Ben, Ben Vereen's type of role. And so, and I do think it's it's yeah. I think there I think there's something there where yeah. it's like we're casting in the 1970s. We're casting. We're, we're giving a person of color a role, but it's still a negative connotation that right. goes with the role. And again, I think when people talk about the way casting happens today and this awakening of trying to make sure that we're diversifying in the right way. It's because we're we're bucking a trend that's fifty years old right. at this point. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting interesting uh, thing. For me, what else has aged well in this movie? I think the vocals have actually aged quite well. Um, the only vocals that I don't think aged well was our friend Jesus. Right, but I think you know from um, you know Mary Magdalene. Yes. From you know from Judas. I mean the other people throughout. I mean there's just some really great vocal selections and, and performances throughout this entire movie. I think also some of the some of the design elements of this movie have actually aged pretty well. I love mm-hmm. there's some beautiful shots of Israel in the desert. Mm-hmm. Um, some beautiful set pieces throughout. I love the finale. I love um, Hosanna, the first Hosanna that mm-hmm. you get. The first Simon uh, Zealous. Christopher. Uh, my friend and turn off my phone. Um <laughs> So you, you get some, some good set pieces. That's what I think is also aged well. What hasn't aged well, too, I think, is Ted Neely singing Gethsemane. Now, Gethsemane, for me, and I've said this on the pod, I've said this on the blog, in, in a couple other articles that I've written about, you know, Jesus Christ, Superstar, I consider this song, if you master it, it is a doctorate of vocal performance for a male. It's it's one of those songs that is so tough, demands so much, um, and very few times is it truly like per- pitch perfect, like you nailed it. Ted Neely doesn't nail it in this movie. In fact, it, I think his performance of this particular song in this movie is not great, um, especially when you compare it to a lot of other performances of the song. So I'm going <laughs> to... So I, this is going to sound silly, I don't remember ever hearing that song before. Now, I know that sounds crazy because I said I've seen this. You've seen this like 20 times. I, yes. I, it's probably the chemotherapy talking. Probably. <laughs> that erased that part of my memory. But what I don't remember what John Legend sounded like when he sang it. Uh, he was great until the end. Okay. Again, 
this so, song is is one of those. It's it's a this song is a video game. Gethsemane is a video game, <laughs> and I really mean this. It, it works in levels. So the beginning is very easy to sing, um, and then as you get towards the end, um, as soon as you start getting to those high notes, it becomes impossible. It's like mm-hmm. the boss level stage of a video game because it's like, oh my god! Right. And and the problem is with Gethsemane, nothing in that song before you get to those high notes prepares you for those high notes. It you goes, just have to jump. Exactly. It yeah. goes from zero to 60 in a heartbeat. And so um, that's why I call it a, a doctorate mm-hmm. level of singing because um, it's not like, you know, um, uh, Bring Him Home from right. Les Mis where you're already starting high. Yeah. You know, it's 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 this build that's instantaneous and very well, and also actors. the power behind those notes is different too going, because exactly. in Bring Him Home, it's a falsetto the whole time. Exactly. You're going high and you've got to hit those high notes with an unbelievable amount of power that honestly like you know only really like rock singers can probably hit yeah like sebastian bach could probably yeah. kill this song well he played this right uh no he did he no. did jekyll and hyde oh okay <laughs> um but yeah like like rock singers would and that's why you see a lot of these the rock singers. The lead singer from Boston would have killed this. Yes, indeed. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's just one of those songs, and you just don't I don't you don't get the best version of it in this movie. That's okay, all. that's all. well, that's part of why I think I was surprised when you said you loved it so much, and I was listening, and I'm like, mm, meh. Yeah. All right, well, let's get let's get into our rating: the acting, singing, directing, or um, dancing and design. Mm-hmm. So let's start with the acting. One through ten. What'd you give this? Seven. Yeah. I thought the moments that were great were really, really good. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought if this was just about Judas. Oh, yeah. Every then, time Carl Anderson is on screen, he's fantastic. Yes. But there were some others, um, gentlemen that you were telling me about. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> the man he's who not plays, my favorite. The actor who plays Peter is an actor by the name of Paul Thomas, who literally, like, if, I think timeline-wise, as soon as this movie came out, he said, you know what? I'm not going to be a legitimate, like, mainstream actor anymore. I'm going to go into the world of adult film, where he literally became a legend in the adult <laughs> film world. Like, I, I read up on him. It's like he's on the Mount Rushmore of adult film directors, apparently. So... When it definitely it definitely changes like your perspective when you watch Peter in this movie. You know this guy went on to like a legendary adult film career. But well, and uh, also I mean, when he has a nice voice, when he was singing, it was nice. But like he's kind of you know, exactly. I don't know. Exactly. Um, yeah. No. So yeah, acting. I, I'm right there. I, I gave it a seven as well. I think there's there's some great stuff that happens in this, um, but there's other times where it's just like yeah. It's, it's very 1970s goofy where it's like you get, you know, overacting from yes. from one person and it's like it almost uh, pulls yeah. from the scene. How about the singing, Nicole? I gave it a nine. Yeah. Um, again, because I think the leads really do a fen- like phenomenal job. And again, while Ted Neely's voice isn't my favorite, I do think for this role and for this film... It's perfect for what it needs to be. Same with Mary Magdalene. Yvonne Elliman. Yes, thank you. Um, if while, I can't have you. Well, I yes, I love her else. voice there. Yeah. So this is a little like Joan baez yes. again for me, but for this musical, it's perfect. Yep. And then... <clears throat> and, uh, you know, Apostle James, uh, played by Robert Lapone, like he did Simon Zealous. Yes. Great vocal. Yes. Great vocal. Actually, in fun, what's interesting is at the end of that song, you see him quiver yeah. at the end of the take. He's actually about to faint. <laughs> so <laughs> so when you watch this movie, watch Simon Zealous. At the end, you'll see him start to like shake. Yeah. In that take, he collapses like as soon as like that cuts over uh, from heat exhaustion. Because apparently it was like 104 degrees when they filmed that scene. Very, so, well, and it's funny. I noticed that because... Um, on that little blog that I was reading, I don't remember who it was. Sorry, 
sorry to whoever created this, but they were saying pay attention at the end of that scene because that scene is what gets the guard's attention and what gets Judas's attention oh, negatively. Okay. So that's the turning point of them paying attention to Jesus in a positive light to a negative light. Interesting. And so I thought that's what his little shudder was, but apparently it wasn't. So. There it is. There it is. How about the dancing, Nicole? Ten. <laughs> Very rarely do you give anything lower than a ten when it comes to dancing. Well, honestly, though, this fits. Yeah. It fits. Mm-hmm. I mean, is the dancing perfect? No. But the dancing is what it should be for this. And same with the choreography. It's what it should be. If this was perfection, it wouldn't fit the, like, the zealot dance. Mm-hmm. It is filled with crazy high energy. Are all the feet pointed? No. Is it perfect? No. But the the impact is there and the intention is there. And I think that is what stands out. And same with Jesus Christ Superstar. It's mm-hmm. not perfect, but it's celebratory. and all, It works. It works. Yeah, I'm right so, there with you. I gave it a nine. Um, of course you did. <laughs> Design. Seven. I give it a ten. What? I gave I actually gave the design of this movie a ten. And I felt weird about it because <laughs> as much as I hate the, the continuity like mistakes in here and there and like some of the choices, I can't help but say like this is a beautiful film to look at. It is. And some of the set pieces are beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um costuming for the most part, works. I also like the look of a lot of these characters. I like the way they look, even though I think, again, like what I really liked about Godspell, and I, again, I bring it back to Godspell because um, I liked the gender makeup of that cast, mm-hmm. where you have males and females playing the role of the apostles. Mm-hmm. You didn't get any of that in Jesus Christ Superstar. No. You get the males are playing the male roles. The women or woman mm-hmm. was the one female part in the, mm-hmm. in the movie, and but it, I still think it works. Like from a design standpoint, it works. So, yeah. So I gave it a seven. Oh, okay. Because I thought the things that they got right were so right. Mm-hmm. Again, the way that it was shot, the impact that the good editing moments had. Um, the right costume choices. Again, I think the way that they dressed Judas, the way that they dressed Caiaphas and Lay, I think they did a really amazing job with that stuff. But I feel like the moments that weren't good really weren't good. Again, purple tank top. (laughs) Right, right. That's a good point. That's a good point. All right, final couple questions here we go let's get into our awards our prestigious awards yes so our barbara award for the best singer in the movie yes who are you giving it to judas me too carl anderson you yep. got it rest in peace died in 2004 from leukemia sadly but mm. uh and and had had a good career he did a yep. lot of things he was in the color purple he did some other great stuff uh didn't have the career i think he should have yeah but uh, incredible performance incredible um worst singer our russell crowe award who's it gonna go to so i don't remember the character's name but Caiaphas's second banana. Ah, Anas. Anas's second banana. <laughs> um, and I know it. the music was written that way. Sure. I understand it sure. was supposed to not sound... So it, it wasn't supposed to be a positive listening experience. Right. So the actor's <laughs> name is Kurt Yagian? Yagian. I can't even pronounce it. Yagian? Um, he makes an interesting choice. He sings it in a falsetto that is not good. So... Well, but every time I've heard... This Jesus must die. Well, every time I've heard that role, though, yeah. it's been done in a falsetto. Right. But it usually sounds good. Okay. <laughs> but my boy Kurt here does not uh, have a, a smooth falsetto, so to speak. So. Well, and that's why I couldn't... Again, memory problems on my part, but I couldn't remember if it was supposed to be that staccato or if that was a choice on his part. I honestly can't. I don't know. But the thing is, like, 
there's other people like that have like individual lines later on the show where it's like one guy's just like when they're asking Jesus questions like you know did you know that you could do this blah blah he just like I don't know the exact line but he's like uh did you know you could turn it wine? It's like it's like <laughs> the way his voice he's not even trying to sing. Right. He's just he's just talking. And so even Josh Mustel um has moments in his King Herod song. Yeah. Where he's not even bothering trying to sing the song. He's just talking. Yeah. Which I think works for that character. Mm-hmm. Um but Well and I yeah. thought was really interesting, sidebar, was that the the accompaniment behind him was so quiet during that song. Yeah. It's almost like they wanted you just to take in the visual of what was happening, which I thought was just a really interesting decision. So I gave the same... By the way, my Russell Crowe was the same person that you gave it to. Second banana. Second banana. There you go. Anas. Yes. Um, A-N-N-A-S-A-S. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> B-A-N-A-N-A-S. <laughs> How about your Bumlet Award? Now, for those of you who are just listening to this podcast for the first time, Bumlet is a character from the live-action movie of the 1990s, Newsies. 1992. 1992, exactly, on the dot. And he is the guy, the Newsie, who is spinning on the fan at the end of the King of New York number. And the reason I picked named this award after him because, sadly, the actor who played him has passed away, so it's kind of a tribute. But number two... The award is given to a background, extra, featured dancer, whatever it may be, person that literally steals your focus in a particular scene. Mm-hmm. So who is your bumlet award for Jesus Christ? The Superstar? whippersnapper. The guy. Great. <laughs> You're calling the guy charged with flogging <laughs> Jesus. You called him the whippersnapper? Well, that's what he does. He technically does whip and snap. You're absolutely yes. right. And he does it with such energy and excitement and uh, joie de vivre. (laughs) Oh, my God. We're going to hell. We're going to hell for this. No, but even in the beginning, when they get out of the the van, what's he doing? Standing around, waving his whip around. He is ready to go. Like he, he is ready to go he from the assigned... moment this starts. We don't even know that he's the guy who's going to do it in the first scene. But then when he comes around and his time comes, I'm like, hey, you're back. <laughs> he probably told him on the bus, hey, Gene, you're going to be the whippersnapper in today's reenactment. And he is probably like, Woo-hoo! gung-ho. Yes. I get to do this 39 times. I'm on board. And I will give the actor credit. I don't know his name. At the end, they do this kind of this shot of him. And you can almost see like the toll that this took on him, uh, you know, to physically flog Jesus 39 mm-hmm. times. He feels it. You can see yeah. that like, he's not like, gl- you know, happy with himself afterwards. Except so. at the end, when he gets back on the bus, he's back to being like, woohoo, I did it. Well, cause it's one job. He I did, know. Yeah, you he only had to do that. He did it well. <laughs> um, for my bumlet, this was a tough, he was up there. Cause I, I definitely recognized that moment where mm-hmm. I was like, you yeah, know, good job at him. Um, I'm going to give it to, there, actually during the same scene, there's a blonde woman, when they're doing those slow motion shots across the crowd and you see some people that are like cheering and some people that are like in agony watching mm-hmm. this, um, there's one woman in the blonde, you, you'll know her exactly when I see her. She's, no, I know who you're talking she about. She looks very glamorous, number one. Mm-hmm. Um, she looks like she's enjoying herself too much Yes. during that well, scene. Well, and that's what I was wondering. Is, like borderline is... sexual. Well, I was watching her going, like, is this supposed to be the agony and the ecstasy, like, of oh, what's happening? Maybe. She's enjoying herself a little too much. And she's also, she's also appears earlier in Simon Zealous, and she's a very enthusiastic uh, dancer in that scene, too, yep. as well. She's but, wearing a pink crop top. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so that woman gets my bomb because she is just, just like the, the whippersnapper, she is, like, all out. Like, yes. I'm gonna I'm gonna give everything I possibly can in today's reenactment. Yeah. Um, I feel like if this was like the show at like Jesus World in Orlando, Florida, <laughs> like she is the dance captain. Yes. Like she is. She like she's the one that auditions all the new performers. Yes. And it's like you you must follow what I do. Yes. At Jesus World, and I think that is it called. No, it's called the Holy Land. The Holy Land. Oh, it is. In Orlando, Florida, folks. If you've never seen the Holy Land, 
Just do yourself a favor. Google Jesus theme park, Orlando, Florida. You won't regret it. Anyway, um, (laughs) there you go. Last question, Nicole. Yes. Now, we've already gotten the 2018 live concert version of this. Yes. So that kind of answered my question already. But should this movie be remade into a film, a Netflix miniseries? Should it be revived on Broadway? It's been a while since it's been on Broadway. What do you think? I would be okay with a a Broadway revival or even like a Central Park revival would be Or awesome. like a national tour starring J.C. Cezay. I would, yes. You bring that up and I was thinking about it the whole time saying J.C. would do better. J.C. would be a great Jesus. Wasn't it, it was Adam Pascal, somebody else, it was like J.C. Cezay. Yes. I think, I think he was playing Pontius Pilate in that. I think so. Yeah. Which... Again, if you think about J.C. Shazay's vocal stylings, I don't know if that would have worked. No, but he would have been a good Jesus, though. J.C. <laughs> Shazay. Don't laugh. Arena tour of J.C. Jesus Christ. Of I would have bought all the tickets. I know you would have. Yeah, I know you. So, so you think it should come back to Broadway? I would. Lo- I would like to see a live performance of it. I don't want to see a movie of it. Good point. Because this, I think, one moody interpretation is enough. For this yeah, because only, people are only going to want to make it darker and more in your feelings and all of that and I think I'd rather just enjoy the music and enjoy a performance of it and I think there are a lot of different creative ways that you can do that yeah. again I would love to see an open air festival version of this or something um, you know actually akin to how they filmed it here there you go that yeah. would be fantastic I'm with, I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, you know, uh, religious musicals on Broadway tend not to work nowadays. Um, they've tried. Mm-hmm. So we had a, a, an excellent Godspell revival. Yes. You know, almost 10 years ago. Phenomenal. Oh, is it that long already? Yeah. It's been a while. Wow. Um, sadly, it, it, you know, it flopped on Broadway. It didn't do well. Closed. Um, then you've got, um, um, oh my gosh, what's that song? What's that? musical um amazing grace came out it was a christian-based musical about the creation of the song amazing grace which by the way when we talk about white savior tropes it's the ultimate white savior <laughs> movie. I mean, it's like good lord um <laughs> it's terrible that flopped as well so yeah i think with with religious shows it's very polarizing when it when it comes to Broadway. Well, and that's why it doesn't even I don't think necessarily like a full run. Why don't you say we're doing like a 6 week engagement? Exactly. Yeah. It's a good point. It's a good point. And just make it an experience and I think people who want to go experience the show would do that instead of going just to, you know, cause a fuss. I agree. I agree. I agree. So folks, you can listen to this podcast and all of our podcasts on the Onstage Blog Podcast Network and onstageblog.com. Um, also, we are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, basically anywhere that you can absorb podcasts. And lately, you folks have been amazing with our previous episodes. I mean, I checked last month, we had 700 downloads, which is insane. That never happened before. Um, apparently, our hiatus. We've gotten pretty big. I'm going I'm <laughs> to dust off my shoulder there a little bit. So we're going to get back into these. We're going to try to do these every single week. Um, I'm also going to basically try to announce what movies we're going to be doing a couple days in advance. This way, if you want to watch them to prepare for this podcast, you absolutely can to know exactly what we're talking about. Um, but Nicole, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And folks, we'll see you right here next week on the movie musical Shakedown. like oxygen.